Thank you, Julia. Uh, good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. If you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to our church. We're so glad that you're here. Or maybe today's the first time in a long time. Welcome back to church and welcome back home. Well, today is an unusual sur- uh, Sunday for us as we have our entire church at one worship service. Now, it's been a very long time since we've all been together for one service. We uh, usually have two services on a Sunday uh, at 9 a.m. and at 11, but today we only have the 9 a.m. service so that we can have our congregational meeting at 10.30, and that's to maximize attendance at our congregational meeting. And for those of you who usually attend the 11 a.m. service, thank you so much for accommodating us and our special schedule today. Now, after the service, we'll have about a 15-minute break uh, just uh, before the congregational meeting, and After the congregational meeting, uh, we will have special refreshments for you, Korean bread or bang, and and it's just a little incentive for you to stay for the entirety of the congregational meeting, okay? Not that you need that, but a little bit. Uh, Today is the first all-church Sunday of the new ministry year, and that means that we're going to begin our new all-church sermon series, and this series is going to be called The Truly blessed life. You know, our culture is constantly telling us about its vision for the blessed life through social media, movies, Netflix shows, and and things like that. And our culture's vision of the blessed life is basically a life of accruing and enjoying wealth, status, beauty, romance, power, respect, freedom, comfort, recreation, Pleasure, good food, with good drink, with good friends, things like that. And if you have kids, that vision also includes success. Not not just moderate success, but wild success for your kids, right? Whether it's academically or athletically or musically, artistically, or whatever other form of success you desire for your kids. And let's be honest, that vision is compelling and attractive, isn't it? Who doesn't want any or all of those things in their lives? We all do. And so we devote our lives to those things. We work hard and we sacrifice deeply to get those things because we believe that those things make a life blessed. But Jesus gives us a very different vision for the blessed life. Now, although all those things that I mentioned are good, They're good gifts from God, but they do not make a life truly blessed. And the goal of this sermon series is for us to consider Jesus' vision of the truly blessed life, which he shares with his followers in a body of teaching that has been uh, come to be known as the Beatitudes. And then for us as followers of Jesus to embrace and to deliberately pursue Jesus' vision for the truly blessed life, not the culture's vision of the blessed life. And when we pursue Jesus' vision of the truly blessed life, we will live lives that are different, beautifully different from, the, from our culture. In fact, we will become countercultural, which is one of our church's core values. You see, the only way that we as a church will make a difference in the world is by being different from the world, by showing the world another way, a better way a more beautiful way uh, to be human and to do life. 
So the title of today's sermon, the first sermon in this series is Blessed are the Poor in Spirit. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 3. Chapter 5 begins a body of teaching from Jesus that is traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. And it goes all the way to chapter 7. And Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes, which we find in verse uh, 3 to 11. There are eight Beatitudes or eight sayings uh, that begin with the phrase, blessed are the dot, dot, dot. And today we will consider the first beatitude. And because today is an all-church worship service, we're going to have one of the students from our children's ministry read scripture for us. At this time, let's welcome Alexis Beck to our stage. Okay, people of God, this is the word of our God. Would you give it your careful attention? Matthew 5, verse 1, 2, 3. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great job, Alexis. Thank you. Here's the outline for today's sermon. Two points. First, the context of the Beatitudes. And second, an explanation of the first beatitude. Now, the beatitudes make up the first portion of a larger body of teaching by Jesus that is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in order to understand each beatitude rightly, we first have to understand a few things about the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, because that's the context by which, in which we're supposed to understand the beatitudes. So first... The audience of the Sermon on the Mount was the disciples of Jesus. Verse 1 says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was addressing men and women who were already following him as his, as his disciples, men and women who were already in the kingdom of God because they believed in and they were following Jesus. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount is for Christians. It's for those who trust and follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There's a huge implication to that. That means that the Sermon on the Mount does not teach people how to live in order to get into the kingdom. Rather, it teaches people who are already in the kingdom how to live as kingdom people. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount does not teach people how to to get saved, but it teaches saved people how to live as saved people. So the Sermon on the Mount was addressed directly to believing disciples. But at the same time, The unbelieving crowds were there as well, and they were listening in while Jesus taught his disciples. And they learned what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and a member of his kingdom should they come to believe in Jesus and enter into his kingdom themselves. Now, in the same way, if you're not a Christian today, or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian or not, you are welcome to listen in today so that you can learn from King Jesus what he expects of his followers. And by the way, thank you for being here. Thank you for considering the claims of the Christian faith at our church. Um, You don't have to be a Christian uh, to to, to be welcomed at our church. 
We hope that the uh, Christian faith will be presented to you clearly, but not only that, but that it might be embodied for you beautifully in the lives of our people. And again, you're always welcome here, whether you end up embracing the Christian faith or not. You're always, always welcomed at our church. Second, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was to show Jesus' uh, disciples, his followers, what life in his kingdom was supposed to look like. You see, if Jesus is your king, and if you belong to the kingdom of Jesus, then how should you live? What does a life that is lived under the gracious and loving reign and rule of King Jesus look like? The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' answer to that very question. It describes the mindset, the outlook, the character, and the conduct of those who belong to his kingdom. It describes what human life and human community look like when they're brought under the gracious, redemptive, and restorative rule and reign of King Jesus. As followers of King Jesus, we're to take our cues from King Jesus and not from our culture. And that means that our lives will look different from the culture, which is the very definition of the word holy. To be holy means to be set apart, to be special, to be different. You see, if you believe what King Jesus says in his word to be true and good, and if you obey what King Jesus commands because you trust that what King Jesus commands is wise, loving, and good, then that will make you very different from the world, different in what you believe, different in what you think, different in what you value, different in what you love, and ultimately different in how you live your life on earth. In other words, you will become countercultural. You will become different from the culture, beautifully and refreshingly different from the culture. So that's the context of the Sermon on the Mount. It's intended for the disciples of Jesus, and it's intended to show them uh, what beliefs, attitudes, and characters in life that is appropriate for those who belong to and live inside the kingdom of God. Second, let's consider now the first beatitude. There are eight beatitudes or eight sayings of Jesus that begin with the phrase, blessed are the dot, dot, dot. Now, the word blessed can be translated as happy or flourishing. And though the word blessed does include ideas of being happy and flourishing, but it means much more than that. You see, to be blessed fundamentally means to have the approval and favor of God. And when you have God's approval and favor, that will lead to true happiness and to true flourishing, no matter what your temporary earthly circumstances may be at the moment. You see, if God really does exist, if there really is an eternal kingdom of God, then can anything be more important, more valuable, and more precious than having the approval and favor of God? You know, when we think of being blessed, we tend to think in terms of a life of plenty, a life of comfort, a life that is free from suffering, a life that is financially prosperous, a life that is socially full. That's what we tend to think the blessed life is, to have a life that has health and wealth and love. 
Now, those things are good, but they do not constitute a truly blessed life. You see, according to Jesus, to be blessed is to have God's approval and favor, not to have an easy life that is relatively suffering-free. Worldly goods, physical health, romantic love, they're all good things, but they are not what make a life truly blessed. And here is the beautiful and mysterious thing about Jesus' definition of blessed. You see, according to Jesus, you can have a truly blessed life while your life is hard. While you're suffering from cancer. While you've suffered unimaginable loss. While you're not getting the good things that you want to get in this life. While you're living the kind of life that others in the world would never look at and say, that's a blessed life. You see, if Jesus is your king, and if you belong to his eternal and heavenly kingdom, then you are indeed truly blessed because you have the favor and the approval of God upon you, and nothing, not even the best things in the world, not even children, can compare to that. Better to gain the approval and the favor of God and to lose everything else than to gain the whole world but lose the approval and favor of God. If there really is a God, that's a no-brainer. So in light of the eternal kingdom of God that is already here and will come in fullness one day when Jesus comes again, what is the truly blessed life that enjoys the approval and the favor of God? And Jesus tells us in his Beatitudes, and now we're going to finally look at the first Beatitude. All of that was set up. For, for this now, okay? So let's take a look at the first part of the first beatitude. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So who has the approval and the favor of God? The poor in spirit do. It's the poor in spirit who are blessed. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit means that you are humbly self-aware of your sins, your weaknesses, your flaws, and the darkness that lurks inside your heart. It means that you acknowledge that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you have nothing that you can offer to God that would merit or earn God's blessing, approval, and favor. It means that you realize that God owes you nothing, in fact, it means that you realize that the only thing you deserve from God is his condemnation, his judgment, and his wrath for your sins. It means that you see yourself in the tax collector in the temple. You remember him, right? The one who hung his head, beat his chest, couldn't even look up to heaven, and he prayed, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. That tax collector is a picture of what it looks like to be poor in spirit. So let me ask you today are you poor in spirit? Do you know that you're poor in spirit? Do you feel that you're poor in spirit? Or was being poor in spirit 
something you were like when you first began as a Christian, when grace used to be amazing when you first became a Christian. But now that you've been a Christian for so many years, now that you've you know, uh, experienced so much sanctification and spiritual maturity, being poor in spirit doesn't quite strike you as deeply as it once did when you first heard the gospel. You know, over the many years that I've been a pastor, I have seen something time and time and time again. Every self-professing Christian knows and affirms, at least intellectually in their head, that they need the gospel of grace. And they say, of course, we all need the gospel. We're all sinners. And I believe that they believe in the gospel. But there are those who really know who, I mean, feel it to their bones that they truly are poor in spirit. And it is those people who deeply love and profoundly cherish the gospel of grace. It gets them uh, even emotional talking about the gospel because it's so precious to them because they know without a shadow of a doubt that they have no hope apart from the gospel. And I'll be honest, there are some people I meet, they talk about Pastor O, I love the gospel. And when I see that, I get a little nervous. Yo, what did you do? (laughs) That makes you so appreciative of the gospel, right? I believe that God, because he loves us, wants us to not only know with our heads, but also to feel with our hearts that we really are poor in spirit. And God does that by redeeming even our sins. You see, when we sin, it grieves the heart of God. Because our sins dishonor God, our sins harm our neighbors, our sins dehumanize us. But God, in his love and grace, when we sin, by the power of his spirit, brings the conviction of sin upon us. And God allows us to feel our our guilt, our shame, our regret, and even self-loathing over our sins. Let me ask you, after you sin, after you blow it, don't you feel terrible? Aren't you disgusted with yourself? Aren't you ashamed of what you did, what you said in that moment out of selfishness and fear and pride or lust or whatever it is, you do something that you know is awful and you're just filled and wrecked? Don't you feel poor in spirit? I know I do. You know, actually, it is a very precious and holy moment when the conviction of sin comes upon you so heavily that you cannot help but feel poor in spirit. And you're reminded again of how sinful and how depraved you are and how much you need the gospel of grace. You see, it's when you feel, not just know, but when you feel that you're poor in spirit that the gospel becomes amazing and precious and invaluable to you. And when we see and feel that we are poor in spirit, it keeps us humble and it makes us so grateful for the gospel. 
Next, let's consider the second part of the Beatitude. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that the poor in spirit are blessed because they receive the kingdom of heaven. To have the kingdom of heaven here means to have salvation and eternal life. It means to be given citizenship in an eternal kingdom that will never end. A kingdom where God himself reigns as king. A kingdom where everything is good and right and the way it's supposed to be. A kingdom where when it comes in its glorious fullness, there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more pain, no more crying, and no more death. Now, I don't, whether you're a Christian or not, I think that is the greatest longing of every human heart, that one day the world will be the way it's supposed to be. And I will be the way I long to be. Whether you're a Christian or not, I think that is the greatest, most glorious dream that God has put into every human heart. And do you know who gets blessed with this kingdom of heaven? Not the proud, but the poor in spirit. Not the righteous, but the sick. It's not the proud Pharisees who achieve uh, the kingdom of heaven with their good works, but it's the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the poor in spirit, who receive the kingdom by grace. So from the very first beatitude, Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of heaven is given by sheer grace. The proud cannot achieve the kingdom of heaven by their good works. Only the poor in spirit can receive the kingdom of heaven by the grace of God. You see, the kingdom of heaven is given to the most unlikely of people. It's given to undeserving sinners. It's given to people who actually mean it when they say, I need the gospel. It's given to people who are ashamed of the sinful and awful things that they have thought, said, and done. It's given to people who are poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is given by the sheer grace of God and grace alone. So I want to conclude my sermon just by doing this by making the gospel clear and simple for everyone in the room no matter whether you're old or young first we have to begin we have to start with the bad news and listen up everybody here's the bad news it's bad news but it's true news the bad news is this that we're all sinners that we have all sinned against God in our thoughts words and deeds more times than we can count and what we deserve for our sins is God's condemnation judgment and wrath that's the bad news but here's the good news here's the gospel the good news is that Jesus the son of God came into the world and he lived the perfect life that we could never live And then Jesus went to the cross and he died the death that we should have died for our sins. Jesus died for sins, not for his, but for yours and for mine. He died for our sins. And then three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus means two amazing things. First, it means that all of our sins have been paid in full because Jesus was raised from the dead. We now have the complete and total forgiveness of all of our sins. Second, I think a lot of us just stop there. That's great, but that's not enough. 
The second thing that the resurrection means is this, that the kingdom of heaven was given to Jesus as his inheritance. And now as his inheritance, do you know what Jesus does? He opens it up and, and, and welcomes into his kingdom those who don't deserve to be in, in this kingdom. It's his right. It's his kingdom. And he can have whoever he wants in this kingdom. And the good news is he wants people like you and me, people who have no business being in this kingdom, yet he wants us. What grace is this? And now the risen Jesus, who is the reigning king of heaven, through the preaching of the gospel, King Jesus offers the forgiveness of sins and entry into his heavenly kingdom to anyone and everyone who will confess that they are poor in spirit and who will trust him to be Savior and Lord. Today, if you know that you are poor in spirit, then I invite you to believe and to trust in Jesus to be your Savior and King, and you will be truly blessed, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that through your word and through your teaching, through the Beatitudes, you share with us your vision, the true vision of the truly blessed life. Oh, we have listened to and believed our culture our, our entire lives. We're bombarded by its propaganda through social media and Netflix and movies and whatever it is. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you speak a word of clarity and sanity to our church as we listen to you, as you teach us through the Beatitudes so that we might know and pursue the truly blessed life. Help us to do that by your spirit that indwells us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.